Okay, before we get started, I have a new sign-up sheet for anyone who would like to get Israel My Glory. It's free, a year subscription. Only if you signed up for it last time, if you're getting Israel My Glory, don't sign up for it now. But uh, if you haven't, this is a wonderful uh, magazine, and to get it free for a year is quite a deal. So I'm going to leave it up here. Maybe then we can put it back on the library area on the table or something. But that is, I'm surprised that they're extending that again. So, uh, <clears throat> let's see. Today is June the 9th, 2011. And we'll prepare ourselves in our usual fashion, moment of silent prayer, rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for another day of Your grace, another day that You have protected us and provided for us. And now we have the opportunity to exploit Your grace by learning and growing through Your mighty Word. It's so easy for us to phase out in the middle of teaching. Our minds tend to wonder. So we pray that You will help us to focus. And if that does happen, that we'll snap back to what is really important, which is your word. So we pray that you will help us do that. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I was on the internet today looking at various things and somehow got to a website that was about atheists. And that's not unusual, but this was one website that had links to other, let's say, non-doctrinal, atheistic-type websites. Now, remember, this is just one website and had some links. And I'm going to show you the, uh, some of these links. They're in alphabetical order, and there's a number of them. And I have highlighted a few of the yellow ones because I thought they were somewhat interesting. I have the first one highlighted American Humanist Association. Humanist means they leave God out of it. Now you can, if you'd like, you can read some of these as I'm looking at some of the others. Then we have, uh, let's see if we scroll down, is there, yeah, we have uh, Atheists in Foxholes. You know, you've heard the old saying, there's no, no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Well, that's the name of that website. Atheist Nation. That's what they would like to see this nation become. Born atheist. Then we have common sense atheism. I think atheism is anything but common sense. Dark Christianity. Diane Vera's counter evangelism resource page. So they are counter evangelism resource pages. Then we have the next page here. Freedom from Religion Foundation. You got that? That uh, from instead of of. 
there's a difference between freedom of religion and freedom from religion. This would suggest that you have to be protected from religion. Of course, we understand what they mean by religion, not the way that we normally take it. Fundies say the darndest things. You remember when Art Linklater had ch uh, children say the darndest things? Well, this is Fundies say the darndest things. And it has a, a little title for it here. Or if you just want to use the letters, F-S-T-D-T. -T. Fundies say the darndest things. Well, you know, that's true. But I don't think it's true the way they say it. God is for suckers website. Infidel guy. They got that one right. Internet infidels. I don't know what this next one is, but it kind of caught my eye. Naked pastor. I sure hope they don't have me on there. People for the American way. Um... Red State Progressive. Sounds a little communistic, maybe. Any down here? Uh, religious Right Watch. Right Wing Watch. See, that's they got to watch the the right wing. They've got to right, watch religion because what I can gather, they think there's a conspiracy of Christianity trying to overtake the United States make it a theocracy. If that's the case, I would say they're an abysmal failure. <laughs> Secular humanism. Then we got the foxhole again. Uh, the foxhole atheist. Uh, the gaytheist. <laughs> the out campaign. I'm not sure what that means, uh, but I have. I think maybe the gay gaytheist came out with the out campaign. I'm not sure how that works. The raving atheist. Then we have uh, Jesus is the false messiah. Hitler was a Christian. Contradictions of God, of the gospel. God's not pro-life, and here's the worst one: UndoJesus.org. They would like to undo Jesus, but let me tell you, it's not going to happen. <laughs> Jesus is going to undo them, but they are not going to undo him. And this was all on one atheist website with all those links. So just look at how much information is on the website that I, I guess you could say it's Satan-inspired. On one of them, it was called... I think it was called a, a free hour parking. It, it got, uh, I probably can't find it now, but I thought, what is that? It was something about parking free for an hour. It was a website that they had listed. And I looked at it, and this is what it says. Just on this one website, I thought it was pretty neat. Perhaps a war on education is needed. That seems a little strange. It says, perhaps what we need to do is declare war on education. Declaring war seems to be the general method for receiving government funds. After all, we have very successfully funded war on drugs, war on crime, and war on terror. 
The plan economic socialism is working wonders for the defense and prison industries. The only war that seems to have gone by the wayside is on poverty, but education is far, is far more reaching. Read applies to white middle-class Americans, not just to minorities. Ergo, there's more of a chance that a war will be supported. So anyway, I thought that was kind of quirky. Anyhow, it reminded me that sometimes I think we live in a cocoon. Most of our dealings and associations are people from this church, people that are like-minded as we are, and that's a very good thing. But it's not to suggest that there are that we are in the majority. We are in a very small minority. But we are on the winning side. That's what counts. If you'll take your Bibles and open to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. Second, or you can look up here, or you can do both. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse six. We started this last time. Now we commend you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition which you receive from us. Well, we noted that this is a command, not a suggestion. And it has more weight when Paul adds in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is commanding them. He's very serious about what he is telling them to do. In the first letter, Paul urged them to admonish the unruly. And now he is telling them, he is commanding them to keep aloof. Keep aloof, as we're going to see, what he means by that is separate from them. That's what that word means. Here it is right here. Stello. It's participle. Remember, it's the present middle, which means you keep on doing it. It's to your advantage. Purposely avoiding association with someone. To shun, to avoid, to keep away from, or to have nothing to do with someone. That's what stello means. And so it means separate from them, which... This is where we ended last time, where we start tonight. The doctrine of separation. The doctrine of separation. Point one. There are two basic types of separation. The first type is to separate unto God. We make God and His Word our number one priority in life. Believers who do this are in the process of being experientially sanctified means we're being set apart as special by God. Set apart unto God. Now, you would already probably perceive that this means when you separate unto God, you must separate away from something else. And that's the second type. We separate unto God, and the second part is we are to separate from anyone or anything that would hinder us or distract us 
from reaching and maintaining spiritual maturity and the super grace life. Repeat. We are to separate from anyone or anything that would hinder us or distract us from reaching, not only reaching spiritual maturity, but maintaining that spiritual maturity and the super grace life. God comes first. If you don't separate unto God, you'll never separate from others. Number two, there are two ways to separate. The first type is mental separation. This is separation is this separation is accomplished by switching from personal or we may say conditional love to impersonal or unconditional love. It just depends on how you want terms you want to use. Personal love is based on the character, the doctrine, the doctrinal application of the one who has to or uh, is actually based on the attractiveness of the object. That's what personal love is or conditional love. It is conditioned upon a person giving you what you would like from them. Impersonal or unconditional love is what is based on the character of the one that must switch to that type of love when the attractiveness is gone. When someone does not deserve our love, when they deserve our scorn, and we continue to love them, we do it unconditionally. Unconditional love does not depend upon the object of our love. It depends upon the character and the doctrine in us. And that's how we separate. You have to have this down in order to not grind your teeth down into nubs. Because we live in a world with a lot of people. And people have old sin natures and they're obnoxious, they're rude, they're thoughtless. And so we have to not allow that to penetrate our doctrinal shield. And so we just switch to unconditional love. We love them anyway. We don't like them necessarily. We don't have to like them. But we can love them, meaning that we don't have any mental attitude sins. We're not seeking revenge. We're not trying to hurt them. Number two, under mental separation, a believer must focus on and emphasize God, God's love for him and his reciprocal love for God instead of the relationship with a friend or family member who has gotten off course. We choose what we want to focus on. And when people, whether it's a friend or family, acquaintance, whoever it may be, when they get off course, we must choose to focus on how God loves us, even though we are stinkers, and how we reciprocate that love back towards Him by learning His Word and applying it. That In this case, it would be treating others the way that He treats us. Unconditional love. And when we do that, then we are putting God ahead of our relationships and that's what we must do. 
Number three, under mental separation. We must be careful not to judge, malign, or gossip about the errant believer and steer clear of revenge, hate, and self-pity. These all are very dangerous mental attitude sins that seem to be very prevalent when we're dealing with people, when they're ugly to us. It's very easy for us to hate them, to seek revenge, and get into self-pity because of how they wronged us. Now, under the two ways to separate, mental separation, we just covered that under three points. Now we have physical separation. Physical separation. Sometimes mental separation is not enough. Physical separation is required. Here's some examples. Number two, physical separation means to avoid... We have a definition here first. This gives you more information. Physical separation means to avoid any personal contact with a person. You regard that person as dead. It is a severance of all relation with that person of any kind. You don't halfway do it. You don't cut down on your visits. You continue to visit. You just cut down on it. Instead of talking two hours on the phone to someone, you cut it down to one hour. That's not what it's talking about. It is talking about treating them as if they no longer exist. That's what stello means. That type of separation. And it is commanded. It is required in in certain cases. Number three. Physical separation is required when a wife and our children are being abused. Just switching to unconditional love will not cut it there. You need to get out of Dodge. Leave. And when you leave, you have nothing to do with that person. That's one example. Another one is, this would be point number four, it is required when false doctrine is being taught in a local church or when someone has embraced false teaching and is promoting it. If you're at a church and they are teaching false doctrine, now, you may, uh, this church or any other church, it might be a peripheral issue. If you, if you don't agree with the pastor on whether Adam had a navel or not, I don't believe you would leave the church over that. But on fundamental doctrines, especially the gospel, especially God's grace and so forth, You don't stick around when they're promoting false doctrine. You leave. And I don't care how many friends you have there. Or if you know a person that has embraced a false doctrine, and not only have they embraced it, they now believe a lie, but they're promoting it. You can't abide that. You separate from that. Another example, point number five. It is required when someone is guilty of a grievous sin and will not acknowledge that they have done anything wrong. Now I have some points towards the end of this that will help mediate what I'm telling you. But right now I'm just giving you 
the difference between mental separation and physical separation and what physical separation is all about and giving you a few examples as to when that would be required. I'm not giving you a full list. Many times it depends on the circumstances. But these are some examples as to why and when you would do it. Let me give you an example for this last one, number five. Let's say you have a friend or a family member that came out of the closet and they said, now I am a homosexual. And they're proud of it and they're promoting it. You may want to talk to that person if they will listen. But if they say, I don't believe in that anymore. I'm going, I'm, I was born gay and I'm proud of it. From, from that person, see, they're not, they're in a, in a gross sin and they're not acknowledging that they did anything wrong. And if you tolerate it, if you go along with it, then you're disobeying God because this is one of the conditions where you physically separate from that person. And we'll see some of the whys a little later. Now here's some things with regards to proper function. The, the way this should be done. A, we have mental, mental separation should always precede physical separation. In other words, right off the bat, when there is a cause, and I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to explain this later also, but I'll tell you now, when you separate from someone like this, it's not because you just don't like them. It's because they are sinning and they are not taking responsibility for it. That is a cause of separation. Sinning. Not just if they offend you. Sinning. B, physical separation is not a license for a believer to separate from people they don't like or that they may hate. That's not a legitimate reason. There may be someone that is obnoxious. Maybe someone that you just really can't stand. There are personalities that just grade against us, isn't there? Oh, y'all look like, oh, what is he talking about? You know, you know who the kind of person it is that you just, oh, it's like nails on a chalkboard being around them. This separation is not an opportunity for you to use it inappropriately against someone like that. If someone is obnoxious, if, if, they're, if they talk too much or they don't talk enough, if they... Use deodorant or don't use deodorant. Whatever it may be, that's no reason for you to separate. Point C, separation does not mean that you are superior or better than those who you must separate from because we are all, what? Sinners. That's right. We're not any better than they are. And it's, it's possible any of us could fall into reversionism and become negative in some fashion. So we're not superior to them. We're doing what we are called on and commanded to do. Point D. Separation protects us from being contaminated by the person who would hinder our spiritual growth and it enables the guilty party to see that he or she has offended God and had better humble themselves and acknowledge their sins to Him. It protects, it's for both people. I'm tempted to say mainly, but maybe I shouldn't say mainly, but let me say 
primarily are at first, the first thing that comes to mind is that we are to separate from them to protect us from being tainted by them. When you're separated from them, you're not going to be tempted to get into the, some of the same things that they are into. The people that you choose to associate with influence you. I've seen people before that I knew one guy in particular that he was very careful with his vocabulary. He never used profanity. And he was a really straight-laced guy before he went to A&M. <laughs> well, once he got there and you get around this, oh, horrible language, and before you knew it, he was, you would think that he just was a sailor that just got off a ship. Now, what happened? He started associating with people he didn't set, well, you, he, couldn't, he couldn't separate from them. He was in there amongst them. Now, not all Aggies are that way. I have to give you that caveat because of one particular person in here. But uh, there are some good Aggies. <laughs> Y'all think I'm talking about myself? No, I'm not. Uh, because I was an Aggie. I know what I'm talking about. But the, the point is, we have to be very discriminating in the people that we associate with, because they will bring us down if they are that type that we should separate from. Point E, the people who we must separate from are not our enemies. According to 2 Thessalonians 3:15, about nine verses from now, we'll see, it says point blank, they are not our enemies. They are people who are in trouble who need to take responsibility for what they have done or what they are doing. So they're not our enemies. We should pray for them. But we have to show them tough love. We have to do the hard thing for ourselves and for them. Am I going too fast? Y'all okay with this speed? Okay. Number four. Separation is most, mostly necessary from other believers. Because probably most of the people you come in contact with, maybe, maybe not, but maybe, are believers. And believers can be the worst sort, contrary to what some may think. A, we're going to have several verses here now. Those who commit incest... This shouldn't even have to be given, but the Bible certainly addresses it, so we'll deal with that one. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Paul is excoriating these people for tolerating and abiding, overlooking incest within their midst. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you and an immorality of such a kind as does not exist, exist even among the Gentiles that someone has his father's wife. Probably not his mother, probably a stepmother, but in any case it is still repugnant. And you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead in order that one, the one who has done this deed might be removed from your midst. So he is, he is condemning them for not removing that one out of their midst. See, there's... There's two ways to separate. Sometimes you separate from them. Sometimes you kick them out. This is what he's talking about. 
This person should have been kicked out from among your midst. And you should be mourning over that they were doing that, but you think it's no big deal. And it was something that would even embarrass the pagans, and so he was letting them have it. So this is one illustration of separating from believers. B, separating from believers who reject Bible doctrine. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 14 through 15. Now, we had not got to this. This is just nine verses away, but we'll get to it. And if anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that man and do not associate with him so that he may be put to shame. And yet do not regard him as, an, as the enemy. Remember, I said he's not the enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So even people that are in the midst and no longer obey the instructions are to be separated from. Point C, from believers who live totally by their emotions. And there's a lot of them. Romans chapter 16, verse 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eyes on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learn. And what do you do? Turn away from them. For such men are slaves not to our Lord Christ, but of their own appetites. The appetites there, the Greek word there is splognon. Or, no, I think it's kolia. It's a body part. It's talking about the stomach. The Greeks didn't have vocabulary for emotions, so they would, they would talk about a body part where the, the, the reins would be the kidneys, the um, kolia would be the stomach, and so forth. So it says... They are not slaves to the Lord, but of their own emotions, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. People who are emotional can be very convincing if you don't have doctrine. But if you have doctrine, it doesn't matter how emotional someone may be, you have the light of the Word to measure against what they are saying, and you won't be duped. So, so far we have separating from incest. These are believers. Separating from believers who reject doctrine and believers who live totally by their emotions. If they're living by their emotions, look what you're going to have. Dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching. That's what emotions, living by emotions do. Then we have the fast crowd. 1 Peter 4, 3 through 5. For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. You know what he's saying here? Look, you raised enough hell. Now it's time to get right with God. It's time to get serious about your spiritual life. Now I'm paraphrasing. But that's what he means here. Now some of you will not be able to relate to this. Some of you were reared in a cocoon. Especially some of you ladies. And we're not condemning you for that. We're glad that that's the way it is. But there are some, and some, even some of the ladies, will, will, the, it's time for them to stop all of the cavorting and start getting with the Word. So the time is sufficient for carrying out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
Now, I don't think I'm talking to a crowd that this really resonates really big with. If, if there are those who understand this really well, we don't want to know about it. That's not our business. Four, verse four. And in all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you, but they shall give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So whenever you... Here we have a Peter telling them, look, you've raised enough hell, now it's time for you to get serious about the Lord. And when you do that, and you've been running with people who are either unsaved or saved and living like they're not, there's going to be issues. And he says, don't worry about it when they... What does he say they do? That they uh, malign you. They talk about you. They're not treating you very nice. Don't worry about it. God's going to take care of them. The next one is, oh, we have another verse here with this. 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 13. I wrote in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Oh, boy. You know, Paul is writing to the Corinthians, but who else is he writing to? Who, who else is this applicable to? Us, right? This is tough. Just what I was talking about a while ago. If you have some family member or friend that comes out of the closet and they're celebrating their diversity and their homosexuality, they are immoral. Does God say, well, what you need to do is go up and hug them and say, I, I love you, I don't care what you believe or who you are, I still love you. No, this says to do what? Do not associate with them. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world. Aren't you glad he said that? Because if that was the case, we could no longer pay our bills because most of us that work would, could no longer go to work. Because the workplace is full of immoral people but he's saying i'm not saying with the people of the world another workplace and so forth or with the covetous and swindlers or the idolaters for then you would have to go out of the world i like the way peter says this isn't and that's especially true for today isn't it where can you go and not associate with immoral people the gist of this is saying you don't have a choice when you go out into the public to do business whatever it is Socially speaking is a different matter altogether. You choose who you socially associate with. That's what he's, he's making that distinction. Verse 11, But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a, revile, a reveler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now he's talking about brothers here. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? He's talking about what? He's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about believers here. Don't worry about the unbelievers. He says, "Do not, uh, do you not judge those who are in the church?" Yes, we do. But those who are outside, unbelievers, God judges. Then we have remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Notice this is. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5, the wicked man was the one that was guilty of incest. He was coming to church, and everybody knew that he was in 
I don't know what you would say, adulterous, a re, a reprehensible relationship with his father's wife. And they knew it, and they allowed him to keep coming to the church. And Paul is saying, put him out. Because it's like a cancer. It's like someone's coming in with the flu and it's contagious. Let me say this. Anybody is welcome to come to Country Bible Church. I don't care who they are. They can be a serial murderer and come to Country Bible Church. As long as we don't know it. He could be a homosexual. He could be a thief, a prostitute. It doesn't matter. They're, the Word of God is open for them. However, if they come here and make known that they're a murderer, a prostitute, homosexual, whatever it may be, shacking up, if they make known that this is their condition and they're not acknowledging that they're not struggling with it, they're not trying to overcome this, then that is cause for us to put them out, just like the incestuous believer. We don't go around asking people these questions. When a believer comes, I mean, when a, a visitor comes to the church, we don't say, Hello, how are you? Good to have you here. You live in this area? Oh, okay, well, that's nice. You're not guilty of adultery, are you? You're not shacking up, are you? You're not a homosexual, are you? We don't do that, do we? It's none of our business. And you never know. Over 20 years, they're not to get a clipboard out on people. But this is a place for like-minded believers. And if any of us here, any of us, if we trap, gross, take then we're going to take measures to extra repent. Metanoia. Tough, but the Word of God. Was Paul pussyfooting around with these people? Oh. See it right here in the bottom? As from among yourselves. Point E. I found with regards to of thy hand upon me, I for with dig on with the crowd, isn't it? Are the succumb to it? And was upon me. He knew that he and they did not Lord. I will restore your they, for their part, may turn to you if they are beckoning you, even if they want to uh, invite you into their web. You don't do it. I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. God is going to help him do that, help him stand. And though they may fight against you, they will not prevail over you, for I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So whenever you have to do this, you're not alone. The Lord is going to sustain you and deliver you. When you have to sit by yourself, when they're scorning you, when they're even being vicious towards you, you're suffering for Christ. This is, this is something you should... What should you do when you suffer for Christ? What does the Bible say we should do? Rejoice. Rejoice. For great is your reward. Okay, that was all had to do with separation for, uh, uh, from 
believers. Now we have a few verses with regards to separation from unbelievers. There's even times for us to separate from unbelievers. Point A. When Bible doctrine would be compromised. An example is when marrying unbelievers. Bible doctrine is compromised when you marry an unbeliever. We are told, period, do not do it. Remember, you are influenced by the one with whom you have sex. They can influence you away from doctrine. I can't tell you how many, how many people I've known that really got turned on to doctrine. They really got into the Word. Uh, they, they, it's like uh, Hank Williams. They saw the light. And they were getting with it. And guess what happened? Some female, some beautiful woman, or some guy with a mouthful of teeth, turned their head, and the next thing you know, gone. And that's nothing new under the sun. That's why in the Old Testament, God forbid the Israelites from marrying the pagan women for this exact same reason. So we have 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18. Do not be bound together. King James, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? You know, he's talking about the temple of God. He's not talking about the temple. He's talking about us. We are the temple. We are the temple of God. What business do you have associating there's, with idols, there's, uh, there's no agreement there. For we are, we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, listen to this, come out from their midst and be separate. All this ecumenical claptrap that you have today. Remember after 9-11, everybody got religious? Everybody got religion? And they had, they had priests, rabbis, pastors, shaman, witch doctors. They were all up there. And the, the idea was, isn't this great? We're all getting closer to God. No, that was just another example that most believers are abysmally ignorant of what God, who God is and about His Word. He says, therefore, come out from among their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. You need to remember this when you have to face this issue of separating from someone because God is saying, separate from them and when you do, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to be a father to you. I'm going to bless you. What we have to do is what? Trust and obey. Now, when it says do not be bound together with unbelievers, surely that is talking about marriage, but I don't think it's limited just to marriage. I think that any close association that we have, if it's not with a believer, then it's, it's, it's going to be 
it's not going to be very deep because of what he's what does what does a believer have to do with an unbeliever where's the harmony where's the all right now so far we're talking about separating from unbelievers are you with it we separate when we'd have to compromise bible doctrine and b from from uh, god rejectors psalm 1 1 and 2 the first psalm How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Sometimes people will go to a church. Maybe they're a little more doctrinally advanced than the ones that go to the church. And they think, well, I'm going to go there and I'm going to Minister to these people because I have something to to help them with. I have doctrines that they don't know, and this will help them. Some people think, well, the best place to witness, the best place to evangelize is in bars. Go to bars. That's where all the unbelievers are, supposedly. I know that's not true, but that's the line of thinking. There's only one problem with that. We are to separate from those people. You don't have to get down in the gutter to give the gospel. You don't have to compromise your values or your doctrine in order to live the Christian way of life. Now, we're not, we're not so hoity-toity that we can't rub elbows with people who are obviously lost, but we're not going to be yoked together with them. This is the third standpoint with regards to separating from unbelievers, from human viewpoint and worldliness. Romans 12, 1 and 2. How many of y'all know this? How many of you love this verse? Yeah, I do too. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, Look at this, which is your reasonable service. I got this out of the King James because I love to point that out. This is only reasonable for us to do this. God isn't asking something that is out of the question. It's the only reasonable thing for us to do is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And be not conformed to this world. And it actually says stop being conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we're doing here, as so many times we're renewing our mind. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we are to separate from human viewpoint and worldliness. What do you do if you're around a person who is constantly spewing out human viewpoint? What's the first thing you do? Let me see if you're getting it. Just think about it a minute. What's the first thing you do? Do you separate? No. What did I say comes first? I'm talking about physical separation. No. First thing you do is mental separation. You stay objective. You try to keep this thing going, but you don't compromise your doctrine. And if it becomes necessary, then you physically separate after, after you've prayed for them and prayed for wisdom in handling the situation. D, you separate from religion and apostasy. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. Realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. 
And you, you can see this. I mean, this is a whole list. This is describing us today. In the last days, it's going to be difficult. It's going to get more difficult. And you have all these, the love of money, you see all these sins, all these things that are going through. They've denied, look at the last phrase. What does it say to do? Does it say, associate with these people to show them how, how much love you have for them? Does it say that? No. It says, avoid such men as these. It means turn from them. Separate from them. Okay, now we get to the, the these. What, what we've done so far is we looked at, we, first of all, we separate unto God. We separate from anything that would distract us or hinder us from reaching spiritual maturity or maintaining spiritual maturity. Then we looked at there are two kinds of separation. There is the mental separation and there is the physical separation. We looked at that. And then we looked at the separation from believers. And then we looked at the separation from unbelievers. I had no idea it was going to take all this time. This is where we get to the meat of it. This is the, the pragmatic, practical aspects. I've laid the foundation. This is where we get into the nuts and bolts of it. Point six. If we ignore this command because it is sometimes hard to separate from friends and family, we will regret it. The bad behavior, mental attitude, sins, and spiritual apathy of others will bring us down if we don't remove ourselves from it. Make no mistake about it. If you think that you can be such a great influence on people who are obviously negative and hardened against God, and you're going to stick with them until something happens, something is going to happen. The rotten apples are going to do what to the good apples? They're going to, they're going to ruin them. You can't do it. Point seven. Tolerating those who've become negative or antagonistic towards doctrine is not only harmful to us, it is also harmful to them. We do not show love to others by pretending all is well when it is not. That's not you, tolerating something when it is intolerable, just to keep the, the relationship going, isn't helping anyone. So we don't pretend all is well when it's not. It's not easy or pleasant to discontinue a relationship, but a relationship with someone who is out of control is not worth having. Well, there might be sentimentality there. You're sentimental. Emotions get involved and all the rest of it. You have to think objectively. And a person that has rejected God and His Word is not worth having a relationship with. They will bring you down if you continue to try to have a relationship with them. Separation helps the errant friend or family member realize the seriousness of their bad attitude and behavior. Your toleration may be seen by them as a sign that you condone or approve of their sin. Remember, we're talking about separation from people, not because they've offended you, not because they hurt your feelings, none of that kind of nonsense. We're talking about a sin that they are not taking responsibility for. They're flaunting it and demanding that you accept, accept their friend or they're not going to accept you. 
And so many people think, well, I'll prove my love to them. I'll, I'll show them how much I love them. I'll tolerate even if they are incestuous, even if they are a homosexual or a lesbian, even if they're an atheist, no matter what they are, and that is a mistake. When you separate from someone in the fashion that we're talking about, you know what's going to be automatic? They're going to step back and think, wow, this person is serious. They're making a big deal out of that. Is it? That's why we do it. That's why we separate. We're telling them, look, this is a big deal. I can no longer associate with you because this is such a big deal. I am commanded by my Maker to put distance between you and I because I don't want whatever's coming your way. I don't want to even be close to it. You think that might get someone's attention? Eight. When separation is necessary, care must be taken that we don't appear to be superior, self-righteous, or judgmental. We don't have a choice. We are commanded by the Word of God to do it. Of course, prayer for the person and prayer for direction in handling the situation is a must. But you shouldn't struggle over whether to do it or not. It's a, com- it's a command. Paul commanded in the name of the Lord to separate from these people. He was serious about it. But we don't want to come across like, oh, I'm so superior to you. I can't associate with you because you're such a crumb bomb. If I was going to separate from someone, I would say, look, you know, I would like to continue to have a relationship with you, but I can't. Because you're in this sin. You continue to sin. You're not acknowledging it. You're not taking responsibility for it. You're trying to act as if it's not sinful. And the Bible commands me not to associate with you. I'm no better than you are. I'm a sinner. If you know what I thought, and if you followed me around and see the way I talk to people sometimes and how I can lose my temper, how impatient I am and all these things, I'm not superior to you. I'm just trying to be an obedient believer to the Lord. And it requires me to separate, and that's what I'm going to do. And it, and it really hurts me to do it, but I must do it. Now, if you say something along those lines, they're not going to think, well, you're just superior. You're just saying, hey, I don't have any choice. I have to do this. We are not to separate from others because we get our feelings hurt or because someone has wronged us in some way. Separation is called for only when someone continues to sin and refuses to take responsibility for it. You got that? Now, if there's a friend or a family member, and let's say uh, they came out of the closet, they're a homosexual, but they, they say, they confide in you and they say, you know, I know it's wrong, but I can't help it. I have these urges and I struggle with this. That's something different altogether. I talked to a man in New York City for years that found me on the Internet. And we talked dozens of times. And he was a homosexual. And he asked me what, what I thought about this and, and other things. And I, I, you know I didn't mince words with him. I said, homosexuality is a sin. It's repugnant to God. It was so detestable that in the Old Testament, the penalty was execution by stoning. And so as long as he would tell me that he was 
struggling with it. He was still trying to overcome it. And he was listening to what I was saying. I would talk to him. The first hint that he would give me that, well, you know, that's just your opinion that it's not right. I would say, see ya. It's over. I would separate from that person in a heartbeat. But as long as he said he knows that it's a sin and he, he's trying to struggle with this issue, then I would exhort him. I would help him however I can. You see the difference there? It's for the one who is sinning and not, not acknowledging that they're doing any wrong. And usually those type of people promote it. They don't want to even keep it a secret. secret. They're proud. Some people do it just to get attention, whatever it may be. Those are the ones that you separate from and I've gone past time. I've got a, uh, we're not through with this yet. That was the last of my points. Now I've got a chart that I'm going to show you next time with what you tolerate and what you don't tolerate. Y'all seen, some of you have seen this before, but I've updated it. And that's what we need to know. Okay, you got it. We're supposed to separate from people who are sinning and not taking responsibility for it. But we're also told to tolerate others. So how do we know what to tolerate, what not to tolerate? Where do we draw the line? We'll get into that next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for your faithfulness in giving us, through your word, everything that we need for life and godliness. None of us like to separate from people that we know. But you would not command it if it wasn't necessary and if it wasn't what both of us need to do. This is how you help both of us. So we pray that we will keep this in mind, that we're, we're doing no good to a person. We're not showing them our love by condoning and continuing a relationship under those circumstances. So we pray that we, you'll help us to file this into long-term memory and not be shy, but to be bold in all our aspects in applying your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.